one of our little guys was into um, self-harming and he was five years old. Mm. And when I realized he was digging his nails into his leg, I said to him, nobody hurts my baby, not even you. And I just held his hand and he never, he never did that again. I mean, he never dug into his legs when he was angry or frustrated, but I think he needed to hear that. Welcome to the Let It Be Us podcast. I am so grateful that you're listening. I'm so glad that you are taking a step, whether you are someone who is already a part of the foster care and adoption community, or whether you are checking out this world and this podcast is your first step. I'm just so incredibly privileged that you're choosing to do so. Um, I am here with Carolyn Osterhues. Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Carolyn, you are someone who has an incredible story that I'm, I'm excited to hear more of. Um, but for purposes of sort of setting the table, today we're going to talk about how the world of foster care and the world of adoption through foster care come together. We're going to talk about what that looks like, what maybe some misconceptions are, and most importantly, how regardless of what your perceptions or your misperceptions are, that we are asking every single person who's listening, every possible adult who's invested in the lives of kids to be able to step up for what is the best interest of the children that are in foster care. Now, Carolyn, you and your husband have been a part of this community for a long time. Just for sort of setting the table, can you help folks understand when you got first connected to foster care and um, what your family looks like now? Sure. So my husband and I were married for two years when we decided to start our family And we were not able to do that naturally. So we started looking into alternative ways. A good family friend recommended foster care because there are some children that are available for adoption. The goal is permanency. Mm -hmm. So we knew nothing about it. We decided to go to some informational meetings in regards to foster care. And after the first meeting, I knew that this was going to be the path that we created our family, but my husband wasn't so sure. So so we went to another meeting and learned that no matter which way we decided to have children, whether it would be through traditional adoption, international adoption, foster care, we needed that foster parent license. Hmm. And so we started with the training. I love that. Thank you. I think the sound you're hearing um, is the sound of listeners everywhere chuckling at the phrase, my husband wasn't so sure. Right. Because I think it's something that is so common in these stories is that especially for heterosexual couples, we see how... um, someone like you is sort of leading that conversation. That was certainly true in my household. My wife is a, at the time was a pediatric nurse and uh, she was helping care for kids who were in the system. And she came home and was like, Hey, this is something that I think we should do. Adoption had already sort of always been on our minds. And that's how this process got started. Now I will say, if you are like me, uh, a dorky dad or a dorky soon to be dad who's listening to this, I want to stress how important it is from the beginning that one, you listen to your spouse, 
but also that you continue to lean into this conversation because this is not something that, and I'm sure Carolyn, you can attest to this. This is not something that only one partner can carry. Absolutely. And to your point, I think that my husband's fears, and I'm speaking for him because we've had this discussion over the years several times, mm-hmm. is the fact that he does have a super tender heart. And he was just worried about getting super attached to a child and then having to say goodbye. Because mm-hmm. women, I feel, and this is a grand, this is just a grand statement, but we have such a support group with our friends, our girlfriends, our siblings, you know, our moms, but men so much don't turn to each other to say, you know, Hey, I'm super upset. We just had to say goodbye to a child. So it's hard for, it's harder for them to process. And I'm, I'm making a, you know, big statement. You know, but yeah, in no, general. I don't think anyone's arguing that y'all are much better at that and that we are. And obviously we're coming at this conversation as two people who are both involved in heterosexual relationships. Correct. But, and I can't stress enough that what these kids need are all parents of all kinds of all family makeups because these kids are from all kinds of backgrounds that Absolutely. what is in the best case and what is the best option for the child might very well be you no matter what your family looks like now 100%. how many kids um are in your home now how, how what does that process look like for y'all sure so over the years we we averaged welcoming in about one child per year okay. um and we retired our foster parent license last two years ago, I'm sorry, um, right after we adopted our fifth child. So over the years, we had about 22 children in our home. Some were children that had returned home and then come back to us. Some were, we had um, a case of twins at one point. Hmm. Um, So yes, but um, we've been blessed to have adopted five of those children. That's beautiful. And they ranged in age 23 to five years old. Oh, wow. Yeah. So keeping me young, that little yeah, one. Absolutely. Well, there's a few things that I want to highlight there, which is, first of all, you guys have been committed to this for a long time. Right. And that is, that is, you know, just for me to speak personally as someone who's not directly uh, part of the Let It Be a staff, that is what to me sets apart this community and what sets apart let it be us in the context of the child welfare system is it it helps create or in your case you know i know you met them um long into this journey for you it helps cultivate a community of lifelong advocates for these kids right my wife and i uh, did respite care when we lived in chicago we moved and are transitioning a few different parts in the context of our careers but we are committed to being lifelong advocates for these kids and hope to someday be able to foster pregnant teens. Now, the way that we're going to do that is going to be staying connected to this community. And again, leaning into this conversation rather than ignoring it until it's convenient. And I would hope that if you hear, we adopted five kids and we've had 22 kids in our homes and think, oh man, that's overwhelming, I can't do that. Please, I implore you to keep leaning in to whatever you can say yes to right now. Now, I'm curious, when you guys started this, you know, you guys made the decision that this was going to be a path that you grew your family through, that um, you needed the foster care license either way. 
did you have any idea, any context that you would wind up at someday being like talking to a guy with a microphone being like, yeah, I've adopted five kids. No idea whatsoever. I knew that it was going to be something that I pursued and it became my passion. Like you said, to be an advocate for these kids, because I think, and I read in an article somewhere, another foster parent stating, if you could just break it down and not think of it on such a grand scale, like you said, not 22 children, Mm -hmm. but that one child who has a story, who needs a safe place to heal a family that might need your support so they can heal. Um, if you just look at it at that scale and that's what I did. And then year after year, just those numbers just grew naturally. (laughs) And, you know, my husband would ask me, are we done? And I would say, no, I'm not finished yet. I'm not done yet. And he, and he went along with me because you do, you know, he's my husband. I need his, his support. But then after a while, you know, as far as taking children into our home, I had to readjust um, because we are in our fifties now and think of what's another way to advocate and being part of let it be us is what we're doing now. Yeah. And I think it's beautiful. And I think that, um, that it's critically important for people to understand, you know, you're going to see statistics when you get started in this about how there's 480,000 kids approximately in care across America, how 18,000 of those kids are in the state of Illinois. And of course, there is a tremendous amount of tragedy associated with that that can often feel overwhelming. But I assure you, person who's listening to this podcast, that you can take in a child into your home one child a year on average. Right. Because you wouldn't be listening to me talk if that wasn't something you were capable of doing. And I think we often, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, I think we often tend to overcomplicate parenting in general, but particularly foster parenting or parenting after adoption. Can you speak to ways in which people may have had some sort of misconceptions about your stories or um, maybe said a comment that was well-meaning, but wasn't actually true to what um, you have found to be true about raising your kids? Well, it's a common theme. I think that foster parents get where people say, I could never love a child and give them back. And you do, you just do it. And, mm-hmm. and my thing is that I always say to people, if you think it's hard for you, imagine what it's like for that child. But well in my mind, I think maybe this seed will be planted that they know what, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional, but maybe they know what safety feels like now, or maybe they know what healthy familial love feels like, or what it's like to have a sibling play with them, or what it's like not to have a meal every breakfast, lunch, and dinner and not have to go without. So as hard as it is for us as adults, think about these children that really need a connection to someone, someone who cares about them. And one of our little guys was into, um, self-harming and he was five years old. Mm. And when I realized he was digging his nails into his leg, I said to him, nobody hurts my baby. 
And he looked at me and he said, what? And I said, nobody hurts my baby, not even you. And I just held his hand and he never, he never did that again. I mean, he never dug into his legs when he was angry or frustrated, but I think he needed to hear that, you know, I cared enough for him that I was going to keep him safe and I wouldn't even let him, I would not even let him hurt himself. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Let's be honest. Becoming a foster parent isn't a straightforward process. There's paperwork, there's inspections, there's paperwork, and there's paperwork. But one of the things I love most about Let It Be Us is their free one-on-one coaching program that they've been offering for years now. You can get started with a coach, all of whom are experienced foster care professionals right now via letitbeus.org. And I want to be clear, this coaching program is available for anybody. So you may have a really clear goal in mind, like you may want to grow your family via adoption like Carolyn and her husband, or you might have no idea what comes next for you. No matter what, a Let It Be Us coach can help. Get started today at letitbeus.org. The other things that have come up, just, you know, the concerns about mental health issues. And honestly, I mean, every family has that, whether you have your children biologically or whether you adopt, there's mental, I call it mental wellness issues. Sure. um, That's good. In every family. So, you know, you're going to run into that somewhere along the lines, unfortunately. I mean, the thing I've said to people when those kinds of things have come up in my conversations is, well, you have it in your family, too. And nobody's adopted, right? Nobody's adopted yet. Um, And I think it's important for people to understand, like, I, I so appreciate the, the, I'll say the, the wide sense of experience there, right? Because I think when people hear foster care who aren't necessarily familiar with the system, they think sort of um, movie level extremism on what it looks like to care for kids. Mm Mm-hmm. But that simple direction of nobody hurts my baby, right. which I'm gonna I'm gonna cry about for the rest of the day. That's such <laughs> a beautiful. That's such a beautiful thing, like truth oh, to make sure that any child understands, right? Right. But also, three meals a day, playing mm-hmm. with another sibling, being able to feel safe for perhaps the first time in your life, right? Those are all things that are within our capacities as adults. My wife likes to describe it as the way the system changes broadly is that more adults who have the means are being willing to direct, redirect that privilege, redirect their lives to be inconvenienced, quote unquote, for the sake of a child. Mm -hmm. Because if you can feed yourself three times a day and not have to think about it, odds are you can make that food available to a child who may not have previously had that experience. Right. Now, I want to be really clear. Carolyn and I's heart in this isn't to browbeat or make you feel like, oh man, I got to adopt. Otherwise, um, I'm not doing my part. What I hope you hear from Carolyn's story and what I want to dig into next here is that this is about living your life and orienting your life around kids and how there's so much joy that comes from that. And I'm curious, Carolyn, you know, you've adopted five kids out of foster care. So I'm sure we could spend the next two days just telling stories after stories after stories about what that process has been like for you. But um, 
I'll tell a story of my own because I'm curious about what happens in somebody's life when, when they get it, when they maybe go from, I didn't understand it to them getting it because they see it. So my mom, like a lot of moms, is a worrier. She was worried about all of the things that we've already touched on. What would it do to our family? You know, we, uh, my daughter was two or three at the time. Um, you know, what was that process going to be like for her? You know, safety, those kinds of things, right? And she was certainly supportive. She wasn't against it by any means, but she was definitely worried. And we had an eight-week-old baby in our home uh, who had been moved eight times in eight weeks. And at that stage of life, what my wife and I were made clear was, we're not going to, this isn't going to ultimately be where he stays, but he will stay with us until you could know with as much certainty as possible that his next move is his last move and that he's getting to permanency. And we were able to do that. But she held, she's holding this baby and the baby spits up on her. And she reacted the exact same way that she did the countless times she held my daughter and my daughter spit up on her. She cleaned, the, she cleaned up the spit. She took care of the baby and she moved on like it was no big deal. Right. What was an example of somebody in your life who maybe wasn't quite sure and then got it when they saw you, how your family was looking? Well, hone in on your story. My mom was the same way. I mean, <laughs> she, when we, we got our third, she was a baby girl. She was a little bit of nothing. She was a little preemie. Mm. And I noticed my mom wasn't holding her. And I come from a big Irish family. And so there's oodles and oodles of grandchildren. Sure. And so I said to my mom, why are you not holding this baby? And she said, because I won't be able to say goodbye to her if I hold her. And I said to her, you can't do that to her. There is nothing like a grandma's love and you can't withhold that from her. And my mom said, oh my goodness. Well, if you put it that way, give that baby to me. And then, (laughs) you know, I just framed it that way. You know, she needs grandma love. Grandparent love is amazing. And these kids deserve it. Yeah. Well, and I think about, you know, this issue of saying about it, kids has come up a few different times already. And I want to, I want to drill in on this specifically, which is you said you've had 22 kids come into right. your home. Yeah. You've adopted five, which right. I'm not that good at math, but that means that you've said some version of, of goodbye 17 times. Yes. But I would imagine that for the the five kids that you've actually adopted where where permanency for them meant y'all adopting them right that that didn't mean that you cut off all relationships from their biological family that you know you were you were guarding them can you speak to what those for lack of a better term goodbye moments actually look like because we touched on it earlier it's of course painful it's of course challenging if you feel like you could say goodbye um, I would encourage you to seek help from uh, from a mental health professional very quickly, because. But if you are a tender-hearted person, like your husband, like everybody's listening, you right. are the exact right person for this because you are going to continue to love those kids. What have those goodbye moments looked like for you? Well, it's it's really really difficult. I'm not going to lie, and there are days where you just, after you've said goodbye to a child that you've loved upon, you don't think you can go another day, but the, 
beautiful thing that you learn in foster parent training is you create these life books for children Hmm. and you take pictures of the time they're with your family so that when they do go either back to their biological family or they move to another home um, for permanency or for whatever reason, you have a life book. And in those life books, as soon as my kids were able to, they were either drawing a picture or writing a small letter. And then my husband and I would write a letter to that child about what it was like for the, for us to have them in our home, you know, just milestones maybe that they did. Like you yeah. learn how to walk in our home, you learn how to eat with a spoon. And then, you know, we always talked very graciously about the bio family, mm-hmm. you know, just saying thanks to your mom or thanks to your family for sharing you with us during this time. So it makes it easier as easy as it can be. But the life books I feel are such a huge, huge piece of being able to say goodbye and having a little bit of peace with it. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's such a simple practical thing, but I would imagine that, you know, there have been, relationships that you've been able to maintain or perhaps strengthen with the biological family or kids who have been in your home. Yes. So just because they've seen that you weren't doing this out of some sort of malicious place or, you know, you were actually invested in the future and the best case of that child. Absolutely. Yeah. No, 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 no. So absolutely. There, there is someone from almost every one of our children's bio family that we keep in touch with, whether it be through, them following me on Facebook and seeing what the kids are up to. I mean, it's quite hilarious. Some people are, some people ask me like, why do you get into details? Like I'll say, so-and-so is not in this picture because she was working. And I always say, oh, that was a direct message to (laughs) why this child wasn't in our holiday brunch picture because she was at her job so that her older sister knows, you know, she's okay. She's still part of the family or I will have, you know, um, bio grandma reach out and say, look how handsome my grandson is with his prom date. And they'll just message me privately. Um, we do go visit certain family members on a regular basis. Um, and the, the mental wellness of the child only benefits from that connection because we all crave to know where we came from. That's why ancestry.com is such a huge deal. (laughs) We want to know who we look like, who we talk like, where do we come from? You know, why do you know, my, my, I have a child who is convinced that she's Hispanic in some way because she loves hot sauce on everything. And (laughs) Her mom's like, no, we're not. That's that's fantastic. Not even a little bit, but she she says, I don't believe her. I think I am. That's so, wonderful. That's very sweet. Well, and I think what I want to highlight for that for people is like what that looks like is messages on social media, right? Getting together with family. You know, people will hear this after uh, a conversation that's a previous episode with Alex Montgomery, who's the direct the deputy director of Let It Be Us. And one of the things that she said in that conversation is there's no need to put a shortage of amount of adults in the life of a child who love and care for them. Exactly. And for those of you who have biological children in your home, like think about how you want everyone in their life to love them, know them, know how, how awesome they are. Why wouldn't we want that 
for kids who come from foster care or kids that we adopt? Why wouldn't we want the exact same thing? And again, I think it's another example of ways where we make this more complicated that we don't have to, because when we look at it in the case of what is best for the child, of course, we're going to make decisions about go into a family gathering. Of course, we're going to make decisions about maintaining relationships because that's going to allow that child to be to experience the fullness of who they are as people. Right. Exactly. People put it this sort of savior complex on mm-hmm. adoptions where, oh, if you've adopted someone, it's because they were in a bad situation and you have brought them to a good situation, a perfect situation. And I'm curious how you respond to some of the um, the ways in which people might put you and your family up on a pedestal. Because I think it's important for people to understand that, of course, this has been the greatest experience you've had in your life. But that doesn't mean that you and your husband are um, doing this out of some sort of selfish interest of trying to be really good people. You're doing this from a place of love. Have you received pushback like that? Have you received that sort of like uh, false sanctification? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, I think I alluded to it earlier when it, people say, oh, I can never do that. You must, you you know, I could, I have too big of a heart. I don't know if you, I could do that. You must be a saint. And I always tell them, ask my 16 year old teenager, if she thinks I'm a saint, she'll tell me no. <laughs> But, you know, I think if there is a savior complex, it's probably reversed. I think these kids save us and they make you a better parent because a lot of times you have to be creative in the ways you parent. Um, A lot of these kids have been through a lot in their short lives and traditional parenting discipline doesn't work. And so you really have to pull out all the tricks in order to connect with them and, and form a bond with them. Um, so they make you a better person that way. So if there was any, like I said, savior complex, it's these kids saving you and they do, they really do make you a better person because of you see what warriors they are and what they've been through and they're still able to get up in the morning and give it another go, which is huge. Let It Be Us, a foster care and adoption podcast is made possible by the amazing team of experts at Let It Be Us. And this podcast is dedicated to the entire foster care community of parents, professionals, and donors who are doing everything they can to help kids in foster care across Illinois. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. Thank you for being one of us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.